Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Let me read that for us, beginning of verse 1. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, I thank you once again for your word. Um, Lord, may you bless us uh, with your spirit now as uh, we go through and study your word together, that it might penetrate our hearts and change our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. I remember where I was on September 11th. I was in high school. I think it was my freshman year in journalism class. And uh, I don't remember clearly if I watched it going on on TV or if I just heard about it. But we were all in great shock and um, at the terrible events that were happening that day. Um, I also remember that uh, that after that, uh, I, w- I was born with a, what's it called, a pectus excavatum, which is like a dent in your chest, and I had to put a metal bar, a titanium bar in my chest, and uh, so I had one for maybe three years, and so for a few years, the security was really increased in the in the airports, and so I had to be prepared to explain why when I went through security, it went off every time. Uh, because I didn't have anything on me, but I had a metal bar in my chest. Um, <clears throat> so I, but I remember uh, one thing I remember about September 11th. The story is there's a story that we've shared before, but I think it's a good story for us to remember. Um, is the story of uh, United Airlines Flight 93. Um, and the story goes like this: uh, Of course, September 11th in 2001 began as an ordinary day, but this seemingly routine day was transformed when 19 terrorists boarded and hijacked four commercial airplanes to attack the United States. Nearly 3,000 people were killed when the hijacked planes were flown into the World Trade Center in New York City, the Pentagon near Washington, D.C., and when United Airlines Flight 93 crashed in the Pennsylvania countryside outside of Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Flight 93 did not arrive at the hijacker's intended target, the nation's capital, because of the selfless and courageous actions of the 40 passengers and crew members on board. 
When Flight 93 was hijacked, the passengers and crew members used airphones on the plane to contact the authorities and their loved ones. A total of 13 passengers made 37 phone calls, and through their phone conversations, they, they learned of the first two attacks and subsequently took quick action. Pushed to the back of the plane by hijackers, the passengers and crew took a vote and decided to fight back and try to regain control of the airplane. As a result of phone calls made from onboard Flight 93 and from the con- cockpit voice recorder recovered at the crash site, we learned of the struggle the passengers and crew members had with the hijackers, which began in the skies over western Pennsylvania and ended with the high-speed crash of the plane in a reclaimed strip, near, uh, strip mine near Shanksville, just 18 minutes flying time from Washington, D.C. Countless lives were spared thanks to their heroic actions, but all on board Flight 93 uh, were lost. And Flight 93, I, I think, is a reminder to us of the, the risks that these uh, incredibly courageous people took in order to save the lives of many. Um, you can imagine how terrifying it must have been and the courage that they showed uh, to do what they did that day. It's really incredible. And as I was thinking about it, it, it reminds me of, uh, of Paul in our passage today, the willingness to risk your own well-being for the sake of others. Um, and that's what Paul does in his ministry, especially to the Gentiles. Uh, he is, he's willing to risk his own well-being in order that the Gentiles might hear the saving message of Jesus Christ. And as a result, we know that Paul would experience imprisonment multiple times, and he would eventually, uh, would eventually lead to his death in Rome for the sake of the gospel. But in our passage today, Paul is in prison for preaching the gospel. That's where he is when he's writing the letter to the Ephesians. And in this letter, Paul, Paul is teaching the Ephesians and reminding them. He's reminding them of God's grand plan for his creation and how he chose them and how they have an important role in his grand plan. If you guys remember, in chapter 1, uh, that, that was what Paul was teaching, that the, the Christians in Ephesus have an important role in how they have been chosen. In the last chapter, in chapter 2, Paul talked about what had been done for each of them individually. How they were dead, each dead in their sins, but how God made them alive in Christ. How they were saved by the grace of God through faith in the person of Jesus for the purpose of doing good works in God. Then Paul shared with them what, had, what God had done for them corporately. How they were separate from Israel and were far off from God, but because of Christ, they had been brought near and now share in the inheritance as children of God. The Jews and the Gentiles have been united as one new person, as one new temple in Christ. They both are saved by grace through faith and they both worship God in the same spirit. So that's what uh, Paul has been teaching up to this point. And a lot of what we're going to hear today in our passage, what you, we read earlier, is a, is, a, is a decent repetition of things we've already heard, but still an important message for us. Um, so he's, Paul now, he's, he's in chapter 3, he's about to pray for the church. All right? But before he does that, he kind of interrupts himself to remind the Ephesians of uh, what he has been teaching them. 
All right, so let's begin. Let's look at the message of God's imprisoned servant. We begin in verse 1. It says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And of course, for this reason, when you see that, it points you back to what Paul just taught in chapter 2. Again, since the Gentiles have been brought into this new people of Christ, since they're no longer separate but brought near through the gospel of Jesus, Paul now wishes to pray for them as the church, as those united under Christ. And, and we have to remind ourselves that Paul is a prisoner when he's writing this letter. And actually, he's, he's probably dictating the letter, which might explain why it comes out in the way that it does, where he starts, feels like he starts talking, and then he changes subject. But he's a prisoner in Rome. He's a prisoner of Christ Jesus, in the sense that he was in prison because, because of the gospel of Jesus. And he says that he's a prisoner on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, um, Paul was imprisoned because he preached Christ as the Messiah, not only to Jews, but to the Gentiles as well. And uh, you might remember the book of Acts as he was uh, in Jerusalem and he was preaching there. There were some Jews that thought that what he was saying, what he was doing was heresy. So they, they started a riot and Roman authorities ended up uh, arresting Paul. And then Paul appealed to Caesar, which is how he ended up in prison in Rome. So Paul's point here is that he is riding from prison in Rome because he preached the gospel of Christ to the Gentiles. And I think he's doing that for a reason, right? He's not, he's not trying, and the reason isn't because he's, he's trying to make them feel guilty, trying to say, you know, look what I've done for you. You should listen to me. That's not the reason. Um, I think it's more significant than that, but we'll talk about why he does it later. But at this point, Paul stops his prayer. It's as if he realized while he was saying this that he needed to clarify something. You know, he's saying, you know what, before I go on, uh, I need to remind you of this. And I think Paul has a reason why he's changing the subject. And sometimes when you read Paul, um, if you like me, sometimes when I read Paul, I, fall, I find Paul difficult to follow sometimes. It's like when you're, when you're, maybe some of you have friends, you're speaking to them, they start a story, and then it seems like they're completely changing the subject. They're completely changing the story, talk about something totally different. And you listen to them, and you're thinking, okay, well, we were talking about something else, so okay, I guess we're not talking about that anymore. But then they bring it back, and they bring it back to what they were originally talking about, and everything connected, and everything makes sense. It's kind of what Paul is doing here. Um, Seems like he's talking about one thing, and then he completely, it seems like he's completely changes the subject, but, but they're related. All right? Um, <clears throat> but so Paul does this for a reason. But you can see he starts this prayer here in verse one, and then he interrupts the prayer, which most of your Bibles note by some sort of dash, right? In verse one, at the end of verse one. And then he continues the prayer in verse 14, which you can tell because he continues with that same phrase for this reason. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so verses 2 to 13 are this kind of continuous uh, digression from what he was originally saying. And you, you can tell it's one continuous thought. Um, so it's, it's, the question is, what's important enough for him to interrupt the prayer he was about to pray? All right? Let's begin in verses 2 and 3. It says, assuming... You know, he's changing the subject here a little bit, it seems like. Assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. All right? Uh, assuming you have heard, Paul's just saying, since I know you've heard, 
or you've certainly heard of the stewardship of God's grace given to me. All right, mine says stewardship. Yours might say administration or commission. The King James Version says dispensation, which is not wrong, but I don't find it particularly helpful uh, for me, at least. When you read the word dispensation, we don't really use that in common language. Um, But the Greek word oikonomia refers to someone who has the special responsibility of managing a house. Paul is just saying here that he's been given a special or particular responsibility from God. God has given him the special responsibility of sharing God's grace to the Gentile people. All right, in Acts, you you see Peter usually goes primarily to the Jews to share the gospel, and Paul also goes to the Jews and shares the gospel, but he specifically also goes to the Gentiles to make sure that they hear about the Messiah. All right, so it's, it's Paul's responsibility, his special responsibility given to him by God to share with the Gentile people the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings them into the people of God. That is uh, the unmerited grace that Paul is to share with the people. All right, that's his special responsibility. And Paul talks about this grace of God to the Gentiles and refers it to, to it as, a, as the mystery of God. And there's a reason he does this, which we'll get into later. But a mystery in this context is simply something that was not completely revealed before, all right? It was revealed in in some way before, but not completely, and it has been completely revealed now. Um, And it's it's not something that, you know, has only been revealed to Paul, and, you know, he has has a special secret that he's going to keep to himself. It's something that God has given to him that he is required to share with everyone else, all right? And uh, as we'll see in chapter 6, we know what the mystery is. The mystery is the good news about Jesus the Messiah that has come to save not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles through Jesus. Both Jews and Gentiles are saved and united in one body, the church. That was the the whole passage in chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 was about. And this isn't something that Paul figured out on his own. This isn't something that human effort brought about, but this is something that has been supernaturally revealed to Paul by God in order that he might share the news with Gentiles. Essentially, and then comes to you and me. That would include you and I. It comes to us, of course, much, much later on. Verses four and five. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, again, Paul's writing is so that they know what has been revealed to him. Paul is emphatic that his mission, his responsibility was to bring them the good news of Jesus Christ. All right, so this mission for him was worth the risk of imprisonment, what he was currently experiencing. The gospel was that important to Paul because it is the message that saves, is the message that gives life to all people. Now, verse 5 is why Paul keeps calling the gospel message a mystery, because it was in some capacity hidden before Christ came, but it has now been revealed through the power of Holy, the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, and through those who have been given the gift of prophecy in the early church, um, it has been revealed, all right? And, and, and this, this idea that, something, that in some, something is hidden in some capacity in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New Testament, shouldn't be completely new to you, 
For example, I think of Jesus in Peter's conversation in Mark, happens in Matthew as well, where Jesus asked Peter, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, uh, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And, and Jesus commends Peter uh, for the answer. And then, just a couple of verses later, Jesus starts to talk about he, how he must suffer and die. And Peter takes him aside and rebukes him and tells him how he's wrong. No, the Messiah is not going to suffer and die. And what does Jesus say? He says, get behind me, Satan. And that's just, that's just Peter, man. He just says one thing. He's doing great. And then right after, he, uh, he blurts out something else and he gets rebuked by the Lord. But Peter, uh, all that happens because Peter, Peter had this specific idea about the Messiah, that the Messiah was to be a militaristic leader to judge the nations, which is true. The Messiah will return and he will judge the earth and all the nations in it. But Peter did not understand that the Messiah must also suffer and die. He didn't seem to have a category in his mind for a Messiah that would suffer and die as well as judge the earth. That was a mystery that was revealed later on to Peter. Mystery here is that through the gospel, the Gentile people would become a part of the people of God without first becoming Jews. Okay, remember in the Old Testament, if you want to be a part of the people of God, you had to first um, proselytize to Judaism. Um, you had to become a Jew first. They could be Gentiles. The, the people now, though, can be Gentiles and be the people of God because of the work of Christ on the cross. That's something that had to be revealed, even though the Old Testament hinted at it and certainly spoke of Abraham's seed one day blessing all the nations of the earth. It was a mystery that had to be revealed by the Spirit in the church. All right, and that's what Paul makes. Uh, that's what Paul is saying here when he's talking about the mystery. Okay, and you might remember that in the book of Acts where um, there's confusion about the house of Cornelius when Peter preaches the gospel and the, and the Holy Spirit, I don't need that, the Holy Spirit falls down on them. And before they do anything else, they're just hearing the gospel. They believe and the Holy Spirit comes down on them. And then they have the, the council of Jerusalem where they have to discuss this and debate this. And so this is something that had to be revealed. This is a mystery that had to be revealed that the people, that the Gentiles be, can become followers of Christ, can become the people of God without first proselytizing to Judaism. Okay. Um, it was a mystery that had to be revealed by the Spirit of God in the church, all right? And Paul makes that clear in verse six. Verse six, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, this is not something new that we've seen in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. He's mentioned it in the first chapter, and he's discussed it thoroughly in the second chapter. The Gentiles, those outside of Israel, can become children of God, meaning they get the inheritance of God. They get the blessings of God. They get the salvation offered by God. They get the spirit of God. And they get all of this without first becoming Jews. They just have to believe the Messiah, the Christ. So Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10 I don't have it up there. I'm just going to read it for you. It says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ 
as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And Paul really, really wants to communicate to the Gentiles that they are also a part of this redemption plan. They can know salvation and redemption, and they can uh, know the inheritance of God as well. The gospel is for them, it's for the Jews, it's for you, and it's for me. And now Paul goes on to explain how God has used him even in his current circumstances. All right, God's great use of his imprisoned servant. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. And again, the emphasis here, man, the emphasis in Ephesians is God's grace, his unmerited favor. All right, his favor that was not earned. Paul was made a servant of God, not because of his own worthiness, as we'll see in a moment, he was not worthy, but because of the unmerited favor of God. And Paul's ministry continues not because of his own efforts, but because of the power of God. That's how the gospel is spreading. God is using Paul's obedience, and through his obedience, he is powerfully spreading the gospel to all the nations. And if you remember the book of Acts, um, the gospel, the church begins with just like 120 followers of Jesus. And Jesus tells them to go spread the gospel throughout the entire earth. And you're wondering, uh, how in the world is this tiny group of people uh, with seemingly no influence going to spread the message of Jesus throughout the whole world? It seems like this is going to get crushed. And so Paul is reminding us here that the gospel is being spread not because of our power, of our desire, but because God wants it to happen. And so he uses Paul to spread the gospel. And he uses Paul to spread the gospel um, even when he's in prison. He, uses, he ministers to him even while he has been imprisoned because of the gospel. <clears throat> so even now, God is still using Paul for the sake of the gospel and for Jesus uh, and for the church. He's divinely empowered even as a prisoner. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, why does Paul call himself the least of all the saints? Um, seems like that's like, a, like Lionel Messi calling himself like a mediocre soccer player. Or Tom Brady saying, well, I've just won a few Super Bowl rings. Um, it kind of feels like that. How could Paul be the least of all the saints? Well, of course, he means he was the least deserving of the grace of God. And he says that about himself because he probably thinks back to his life before encountering Jesus on the road to Damascus and how passionate he was about persecuting followers of Jesus and how earnest he was about stopping the spread of the gospel. He saw as a, as a Jew, as a Pharisee, the gospel spreading like wildfire, and he was doing everything in his power to stop it. He, he used to drag Christians out of their homes and imprison them. He sought to kill them if he could. He was the last person you would choose, you, you and I would choose, to be a minister of Jesus. You wouldn't look at, at, uh, at Saul and, and say, well, that, that's who I choose as a minister of Jesus. But that's who God chose, and that's exactly what God did. God took this wicked man, changed his heart, and gave him every spiritual blessing, just like he did for you and me. 
And so Paul, recog- is Paul, Paul recognizing he is undeserving, but that God offers his free gift of salvation through Christ to all, he preaches that gospel to the Gentiles. Verses 9 and 10. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what Paul is saying in these verses is is that the gospel being given to the Gentiles is not only so that they might know the redemption of God through Christ on the cross, that's not the only reason it was given to them, but by the unity of the Jews and the Gentiles together because of Christ as the church, his wisdom, his plan that he began and knew about since the creation, beginning of creation, um, will be made known not only to all peoples, but even to all those in the spiritual realm as well. That's what rulers and authorities in the heavenly places refers to. All of creation, even spiritual beings, will be amazed, will be in awe, as God's grand plan for his creation unfolds through the church, the plan that you and I were chosen for and that you and I participate in in our daily lives. The church is the means by which God has chosen to execute his grand plan for creation and to glorify his name. And it's a reminder to us that the Christian life is lived not only in the temporal realm. We do not only deal in the material world, but the Christian life that we live publicly and privately has ramifications throughout the spiritual realm as well. But Paul continues, verses 11 and 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Again, this mystery is not something unexpected by God. The union of Jews and Gentiles as a new body in the church with Christ as the head was a part of his plan for all creation to one day bring all things under Christ. And because we have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus, we have access to God. We can confidently come to God in prayer now, whenever we want. We have the kind of access that the child of a king has access to his father. We can come to God day or night, whenever we want. But also in the final day of judgment, we can come boldly before the great judge not fearing what we deserve because Christ has already taken on that judgment in our place and has given us his righteousness. And Paul ends his thoughts with this one last plea, verse 13. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And this is why I think Paul goes on this digression from his original plan to pray for the Ephesians. He mentions in verse 1 how he's a prisoner for their sake. And like I said before, I don't think he's doing that to make them feel guilty, but he's reminding them that he's in prison because they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying that it was worth it, that it is worth it. He's saying, I may be in prison now, but if it meant that you Gentiles heard the gospel, then it's something that I'm glad I did. And you have to remember, it's probably been about five or six years since Paul has seen them. So it might be discouraging for them to hear about Paul in prison for preaching the gospel to them or to others like them. 
They might feel guilty or, or they might be discouraged because they don't want to end up like Paul. But Paul is saying, look, I may be in prison suffering, but because I took the risk of sharing the gospel with you, you know now Jesus, you now know Jesus and you're now a part of the church. You're now children of God. So it was worth it for me. And it will be worth it for you as well to continue to follow Jesus despite the dangers that come with it. And so that's how Paul, that's, that's the reason I think Paul is giving this digression here. And now he's going to go back into this prayer. He's going to be praying for this uh, new creation, this, this church, these Jews and Gentiles united in Christ. All right, and we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that uh, next time. And so I want to end with this thought here. Thinking about Paul and thinking about his service while he's imprisoned, that God has empowered us to serve him with his message of the gospel, no matter the circumstance. I'm always amazed by Paul because if I were preaching the gospel somewhere and I met with even half the pushback that he got, let alone imprisonment, I think I would be pretty discouraged. If I wound up in prison, I I might think, well, uh, I, I might be done with this for a bit. Uh, God was using me before, but it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's happening now. Yet when Paul is imprisoned, he, he uses the opportunity to remind the churches that he started about the truths of the gospel and what it means for them. All the things that Paul faced would have really caused me to question things. But him, he recognizes that even in these circumstances, God has empowered him to continue to minister, to continue to do things of significance. And I think that's the point of Paul's digression here. He's telling the Ephesians, listen, I know I'm in prison and I know I'm suffering, but it's the cost of sharing the gospel with you. And as a result, you know Jesus, you know salvation, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. You are united in Christ with people uh, you never would have dreamed you would have been united with. And you have a great purpose in God's grand plan uh, for creation. And that is true no matter the greatness of your circumstances, how well you're doing, or the humility of your circumstances if you are uh, in hardship and suffering. And so I hope uh, that, and I hope Paul is an encouragement for you in this week, knowing that no matter what's going on in your life, God can use you and empower you for the sake of his gospel. All right, let me end there. I'll pray for us. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you've done in Christ, how we are just all uh, united as followers of Christ. How, Lord, we can go anywhere in the world and... um a place we've never been, a place we might know the language of. And if we, uh, if we find a church, if we find other Christians, we immediately have something in common. We immediately are united with them because we are both believers and followers in Christ. We're thankful, Lord, for Paul's, how you have used Paul, how you use his obedience uh, to spread the gospel so that it has really spread all throughout the earth now. Um, People everywhere around the world are, are Christians. There are many who still need to hear the gospel, but, but your gospel has, um, has gone into to almost every country. 
And so, God, we're thankful for your sovereignty. We're thankful for your power. We're thankful for your grace giving us uh, salvation that, that we do not deserve. And all we need to do is believe and, and trust in Jesus. And you give us that salvation. You give us your spirit. And you give us the church. So, God, we, uh, we pray this week, Lord, that through all our circumstances, no matter how we're feeling, we're feeling really good or feeling really bad, that we might remember that you are capable of using us for your purposes in any circumstance. So bless, with, bless us with that this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.